read our text, Ephesians chapter 4. We're in the middle of just a series working through the book of Ephesians, and we're in verse 17 this morning, so we're just going to be in eight verses. Starting in verse 17, it says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so we're going to be unpacking these, uh, this passage in the next few verses, the next few weeks. And so um, as I was reading our, our text this week and kind of preparing for this morning, one of the things that I, that I realize that I so often do, and I'm not going to say that you do this because I don't know for sure, but, but I, I've kind of sensed this in, in human beings that so often um, it is easy for our eyes and our lives to not be fully open to the hard yet real things that are happening all around us. It is easy for our, lo- for our eyes and our lives to not be fully open and, and aware of the, the hard yet real things that are going on all around us. And so here's what I mean. You, you pull out your, your phone or however you get news and media and, and you'll hear about um, a bomb going off in England and killing people. You hear about another terrorist attack in the Middle East by ISIS. You, you hear about the injustices that are being done in our own city or in our own country. The reality is that there is pain and suffering and injustice in our world. And sometimes we, we read it and we engage it and we, and we bring it all the way in, the whole story, and we feel it and we let it affect our day and our lives. And other times we, we see the headline and we just flip past it like nothing even happened. Sometimes our eyes and our hearts are wide open to the truth. And sometimes we rather live ignorance is bliss. And we do this with scripture too. We do this in the spiritual world. That in this passage this morning that we're going to be in, Paul says some incredibly hard things, some offensive things, some hurtful things. And it is so easy to, to gloss over essentially close our eyes and, and to, to read past the things that make us feel uncomfortable that are distasteful to us. And it is so easy to spend all of our time just reading the things that build us up, the things that make us feel good. And, and what happens when we, when we do this with the scriptures in the spiritual world, when, when we tune certain things out and we concentrate on others, I think is, is we're missing a, a catalyst. That when we only read the, 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 the passage that set well with us in Scripture that, and, and we don't think about the full picture, the hard things that Paul says, we miss out on this catalyst that is uh, intended to propel us as Christians into to lives of action and, and faith and movement. So this morning, my question for us is, would you, would you let your eyes and your heart be fully open to the Scripture? Things that God would have for us and not just the pieces that you like. I think it's important for us to remember, I'll say this and then we'll jump into the text, that the guy who is writing this letter, the man who is writing this, he, he knew what it was like to be God's enemy. 
that there was a, a, a big part of his life where he did not know God, he didn't love God, he didn't trust God, he was God's enemy. And you have to understand that it was not God's choice that he was any of those things. It was his own choice, that he hardened his own heart, that he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He knew what it was like. And he also knew what it was like to be found by God, to be awakened to the reality of Jesus. He knew both sides of this fence also well. And we have to know that if we don't understand the man who's writing this, it'll affect the way that we read this letter. And so this is what Paul says to the churches that he's writing to 2,000 years ago and still speaking true in, in our lives and in our churches. So he says in verse 17, I tell you this, I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, Gentiles here is referring to people who are not yet followers of Jesus. I think it's important that we we hear the words that he says in verse 17. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. You see, I think it's, it's interesting that he starts with our thinking. Because Paul understands that, that all people are led by our thoughts. We think something sounds good for lunch. We're going to make it happen. (laughs) Guys, you think a girl across the the, the aisle is is amazing, and hopefully you you go and ask her out. We think a dog will make us happy, so we get a dog. Like Our our lives are, are constantly being shaped by the things that we think. Paul says this. Maybe the primary difference between Christians and non-Christians is the way that we think. The Christians have come to understand that there's no lasting, sustaining joy in life apart from Christ. See, Christians have know this. We've experienced this, that that there's no lasting joy, there's no lasting peace, there's no lasting hope without Christ. And I was thinking about our church family, like collectively, we have experienced what this world has to offer. As a church, we have tried it, we have chased it, we have done it, and we have found it to be lacking compared to what we found in Christ. In this church, we have chased sex. We've chased money. We've chased climbing the corporate ladder. In this church, we've tried getting our own worth from our our work, from our relationships, from the clothes that we wear and the cars that we drive and the neighborhoods that we live in and the people that we are married to and the children that we bring forth. We, We have tried to find worth and value in all of these things. And what we found is that they did not, they cannot give us the lasting joy and peace that we're looking for. But the Christians, the Christ followers in this room, we have, we have found Christ. We have found the one who has forgiven us despite the things that we've done. We have found the one who has promised and who has proven to be true to walk with us through the hard things that come our way in this life. We have found the one who has flooded our lives with joy and peace and love and hope. We have found Christ, the one who our hearts beat for. We have found Christ. And there's something intrinsically different about the way that we think. I remember watching Charleston shooting a couple years ago. 
The shooter walks into a church and kills several people. I remember watching the news the, the following days and they were interviewing people who had lost spouses and children and friends. And I remember this one guy that was being interviewed in particular, he looks in the, to the camera and he says, he's talking to the shooter and he, he says, I pray God's mercy on your soul. I pray that you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord. And that you come to know that we forgive you. And I was listening to this guy talk on television being projected into all of our country. And I saw that the difference that, that this man has found Christ. And if you're sitting here and you're following Jesus, you found Christ, you found the, the pearl of great price, the one worth laying it all down for. You found that he does something, he provides something, he is something that nothing in this world can provide. Amen. Amen. And Paul says to us Christians, don't be tempted to start living like the Gentiles again. Katie, I rescued you out of it. And Aaron, I rescued you out of it. David, I rescued you out of it. Clayton, I rescued you out of it. Austin, I rescued you out of it. Don't slip back into the futility of thinking that things outside of Christ will satisfy you and define you. You see, the Gentiles are, are prone to make gods out of good things. Paul looks at us and he says, I'm not telling you just to keep all good things out of your life. He's saying, no, allow the good things that you have been given to lead you to worship. See, I, I'm a firm believer that every good, and Nana even shared this earlier. I, I love that you shared this. We had no idea what we were talking about today, that every good and perfect gift is from above. And that my guess is that we would sit down and we would do well to, to think about all the good things that we enjoy and to think that the reason that we have them is because of God. Think about the good things that you enjoy in your life. Those of you are married, sex. Think about the jobs that you have that, that provide for you and your family. Think about the, the, the money that you're given every week that help fund the kingdom of God. Think about the friends that you have and the places that you live and the food that you eat. And, and he says, every good and perfect gift is from above. And so he's not telling us to, to refrain from all these good things. He's saying, no, bring them into your life. Understand that they're good. They are, are gifts from God. And when you do that, you will not worship those things. You won't be tempted to build your life on those things. You'll take them in and you'll understand what they were meant to do, which is tended to leave you into a life of worship. keeps going in verses 18 and 19. He says, Gentiles are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. You know, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't fully know what to do with all these, these words and these verses other than for us just to sit in them and to feel them for a minute. The hard things that Paul says. I appreciate that Paul doesn't start naming people here. He doesn't start calling people out who this is true of their life. And I also think it's worth mentioning that, that each of us who are Christians, that each person that he was writing to that was a, a Christ follower, there was a point in all of our journey where we didn't love God, we didn't trust God, we didn't submit to God, we cared nothing about giving him the reverence and the worth that he deserves. And there's this air in this passage that might lead us to think if we're not careful, 
that for those who are not Christians, there is absolutely no hope. And I, hear me out, I do not think that's the point that Paul is trying to make here. And so Paul's going to say some hard things. He's going to talk about the Gentiles being those who have hardened hearts, those who have lost all sensitivity. And what I want to suggest this morning is that there are many people who are not Christians that this is not speaking about. There are those who are sitting here this morning and you're not a Christ follower. There are people that we live around and work with that are not followers of Jesus. But if you're willing to listen, if you're willing to come here on a Sunday morning and entertain the idea that there might be a God, there might be a son named Jesus who came for us, if you're willing to to pray and to seek this God, to know if he's real. And, and, and what I believe is that a, a person whose life is open to the, the reality that there might be a God is, is not a heart that is calloused. It's not a heart that is completely insensitive, desensitized to the words of God. So I don't think that what Paul is doing, we have to be careful when we read scripture and study the word. I don't think Paul is making a distinguishing statement that all who are not Christians are permanently and immovably in this state in verses 18 and 19. But I do believe that Paul is wanting Christians and non-Christians. Should you choose to harden your own heart? He's wanting us to understand the severity of what it really means to be separated from the life of God and what is actually going on when people choose to harden their own hearts. I think we have to really look at this passage to think about these hard words that Paul speaks because in our culture and even in our Christian subculture, some, some Christian subcultures, they, they will undermine and they will ignore this truth. So they'll say things like this, hey, everyone do your own thing and, and watch out for yourself and take care of your own spiritual journey and coexist in the highest virtue is tolerance. But hear, hear me out. If we really believe, Christians, that life is found in God through the Son, Jesus Christ, tolerance is not and cannot be our highest aim. Testimony. Telling the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Sometimes, and not all of us, we just don't want to offend people, right? And we don't want to make things uncomfortable, and so we won't speak into to tensions and where people are misguided and just off. And so often our lives, our lives say that, that we care more about us being good with our coworkers that don't believe in Jesus that our lives speak that, that I care more about you thinking I'm a weirdo than I do you experiencing the fullness of life with God through the Son, Jesus. We were praying as a staff a couple weeks ago and one of the girls on our team, she has this just amazing, just God speaks to her through pictures and visions. And she was praying and she said, hey, I saw two images and, and one image, and, and she was talking to this uh, about our team, but I thought, man, it's just been, that image has stayed in my mind. I want to share this morning. She said the image was like when, when Titanic went down, you remember, and all the people were drowning. She said, I saw two lifeboats in my vision. In one lifeboat, there were, there were people, and, and they were just comfortable, and, and they had their family and their, and their closest friends in the boat, and, and, and they could care less about what else was going on around them because they were safe in the boat. She said, in the other boat, what I saw is that there were people, and they were desperately trying to pull people out of the water. 
that the waters all around were filled with people. And it was so convicting to me. To those of us who follow Christ, I know that we care. Stephen, I know that you care. Rachel, I know that you care. Jen, I know that you care. I know we don't want to intentionally go through this life and miss opportunities to help people find abundant life in Jesus. Remember, remember Alex, when you really understood that you were forgiven by God. And Abby, remember when when the reality of life with God forever set in in your heart. Christians, remember the answered prayers. Remember the the healing. Remember the, the movement of God in your life for when we remember how good our God is, our eyes start to turn outward. And we want other people to know the God that we know, no matter what it costs us. Let me speak to those of you who are not followers of Jesus for a minute. I know one of the, the reasons that our culture and, and people are reluctant to turn to Jesus. I've read this. I've talked to many people. The reason that so many are, are, are hesitant to give their lives to following Jesus is because they look at our world and they see all the pain and the suffering and the injustice. And they go, how could a good and sovereign and loving God allow those things to happen? Maybe you've thought this. I've thought this. Maybe you're thinking this right now. And I believe that there's some legitimacy to that thought. But we have to keep Jesus at the center of that conversation. I was talking to a good friend a couple months ago. He has a cousin. His cousin is bright. His cousin is young. His cousin is about to finish med school, is about to get married. And his cousin gets diagnosed with this brain incurable um, tumor. My friend is a Christian. We start talking on the phone and he is so angry at God. He is so frustrated. He said, man, she's a good person and she doesn't deserve this. And how unjust is this? Of all the people this could happen to, why is it happening to her? And in the midst of this, just very real hurt, very real questions. We start to talk about Jesus. We remember his life and how incredibly unjust his life was. If there was ever a person who, who didn't deserve suffering and heartache and pain, it was Christ. And we talked about his, his life and how, how he looked at us and our condition. Just think about your condition before Christ. There was, there was no trust in your heart for God. There was no affection in your heart for God. There was nothing about you that wanted to give your money and your time and your heart to the kingdom of God. And he looked at us in that condition. And he entered our world and he faced the most unjust, corrupt court case there ever was. Go back and read Matthew 26 and 27. You haven't read in a while. And he died for us. He suffered and he died for us. And he conquered death three days later. And what God was showing me this week is part of the reason he did that is because he saw something in us that we weren't yet. He saw people that he wanted to bless and share life with. He saw in us people that he wanted to know and be known by. 
And he did it for us when we could care less about him. And it just hit me that, that, that God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they could have let us go our own way. Living for ourselves, living for our own glory, making much of ourselves, chasing the things that we chase. But he intervened. And when we came to the end of those roads where we realized that nothing satisfied us like Christ did, nothing satisfies us like Christ could, he wanted to make a way for us if we wanted to know him. And I want you to hear this because I think it is so important. I don't know why all the hard, bad, and just things happen in our world, but I do want you to understand this. We have to understand this, that Jesus himself engaged in our suffering. And he wasn't exempt from it. That God did not have to enter into it and feel it. He subjected himself to it. He isn't a foreigner. He isn't a spectator. And you have to think about Christ when you think about suffering. Verses 20 through 24. He says, this is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. When you were taught in him with accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And I think we have to understand this, that, that especially as we read the rest of this passage, that being a follower of Jesus is not just about stopping doing certain behaviors, okay? And we're going to get into this next week because this is a part of what it means to follow Jesus, that when you, when, you, when you have a change of heart and change of life, that there are things that you have to stop doing because they erode uh, and dissolve the work that God is trying to do in your life. But being a Christian isn't just about stopping doing certain things. It's about putting on certain things. I love that Christ didn't stand away from sinful, forgetful, broken people but he also didn't live the same life that they lived. He didn't choose the same sin, choose the same rebellion. And for us as Christians, that we, we must understand that as Christians, we, we, we can't be like the world, but we also can't stand away from the world. If you're not a Christian, this is where we're gonna end this morning. I was having a conversation earlier this week I was meeting one of my friends at Panera and I got there a little early and I walked in and I saw this guy and I'm like, I recognize that guy. And he's looking at me like, I recognize that guy, but we couldn't quite figure out each other. So I sat down by this table right behind him and, and I just sensed the Holy Spirit saying, hey, just strike up a conversation with him. So he's sitting right behind me. So I leaned back and he has his glasses on. He's like in the zone doing work. And I'm like, God, he's working. And so I turn around, I don't talk to him talk to him. Just start a conversation. Okay. So I interrupt him. Hey man, I feel like I know you from somewhere. I mean, we ended up having some, some really good mutual friends. And, and right off the bat, he, he tells me that he's an atheist and we start talking and I had this amazing conversation. He's very open and very willing to, to have this conversation and get, getting to pray for him. And it's been cool. I've added my prayer journal. I've been praying for him. But I feel like the Lord asked me to, to ask him this question before we left. And so I, I said, hey, what would it take for you to believe in Jesus Christ, to completely surrender your life and to follow him, to give everything you have to, to living for him? What would, what would God have to do today for you to become a Christian? 
And he looked at me and he said, man, I think if I saw something, I would check myself into a mental hospital. Like I wouldn't even believe it. And, and he was talking just so again, like you just innocently just talking. But, but what I realized is that, man, that, that if there's not an openness, a willingness to receive the things that God is showing us, God himself couldn't convince us. You're like, what are you talking about? That's blasphemous. No, go and read the, the life of Jesus, that there were plenty of people who, who saw him do things that no one else could do or have ever done. It, see, it wasn't about seeing. It wasn't about seeing. It was about receiving. It's about believing. So my question for those of you who are non-Christians this morning, for those of you who aren't followers of Jesus, is what would it take for you to completely surrender your life to Jesus, to give every bit of your affection and your heart to him? What would it take today? The follow-up question is, would you be willing to receive it if God actually did that? I guess what I'm asking is, do you want to know God? Do you want to know him? Do you want to be his friend? Do you want to talk to God and hear from God? Do you want to live with the peace that comes knowing that all the things that you've done in your past and we all have things that we regret and we just want to hide from and run from to, to know that he saw those things and he forgives them? Do you want to know the joy that comes from, from just waking up and, and to go, man, God is with me today? No matter what comes up with work or with family or at life, that, that he is with me? And you can know him. Will you receive him? Do you believe that Jesus Christ came for you and died for you and rose again? Here in just a minute, we're going to take communion. We do this every Sunday to celebrate and to thank Christ for his victorious work for us. And if you're not a Christian, I invite you to, to share with the people that, that you came with. If you came with someone that you trust, hey, I, share what's going on in your heart. Share what's going on in your mind. If, if you want some people to pray with you or talk with you, there'll be some men and women at the Respond banner in the back. And we'd love to pray with you and walk with you because we believe life is found in Jesus. And for those of you who are Christians, I want you to think about this as you're breaking the bread, drinking the cup. Are there areas in your life where you slip back and started living like the world again? Have you let your guard down in some areas? And if you have, man, this is the beauty of being the body of Christ, that we just get to confess. Tell us in the book of James, if, you're, if, if you'll confess your sins, he is faithful. And that's what we do in communion. We confess, we, we share, hey, I've been, my eyes have been wandering, or I've been gossiping, or I've been greedy, or I've been selfish, or I've been arrogant. And, and, and we pray for each other. And God somehow through his spirit strengthens us and gives us joy to go back into our homes and workplaces. And our prayer this week I pray that you would join me in praying this, is that God collectively would give our church his heart. And that we wouldn't be a church that is comfortable sitting in a boat, taking care of ourselves. But that we do whatever it takes, whatever it costs. And we can't make people believe, we can't make people receive, but my gut is that God will use us in some amazing ways if we're willing. Let's pray. God, you are victorious. You conquered death. You've taken away all of our fears. When we think about all the things that we face, problems at home, stress at work, 
tactics of the enemy. It can be so overwhelming. And God, I pray that through your spirit, you would strengthen us. That you would help us not to crawl up in a ball and just give up, but that you would help us to turn to you in prayer, find strength and hope. God, I pray for those who aren't Christians that, that where there is a willingness to believe, God, would you reveal yourself, Lord Jesus. You tell us, God, that when we seek, we find. And so I pray that you would give our, our friends here that don't yet know you, would you give them the drive to seek you? And God, we will celebrate when they find you. Thank you, Jesus, for your death, for your resurrection. Thank you for making a place for us. We love you so much. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.